You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Hey, Kevin. Yes, Rebecca. We need to thank 16 new Patreon supporters of Partners in Crime Media. They include Aaron Fox, Deanna Bickford, and Amy Turner. So they pledge to support us at the $10 a month level, and with that, you get some great perks, including a shout-out on the show. Now, we have an aspirational top level of on Patreon, the $100 a month level. Mm-hmm. What that gets a person is the naming rights to our very own Studio C, and guess what? What? Someone actually did that. Oh, my God. That's right. This is an anonymous patron on Patreon. She only goes by T, but she has chosen a name. So do you want to hear the official new name of our studio? Instead of Studio C, what do we have to call it now? Square Egg Studios. Oh, okay. That's cool. I like it. That's different. I like it a lot. It could be a lot worse. What does Square Egg mean? I think it's a personal joke between she and somebody important in her life. Oh, okay. Yes. And this is Mrs. T or just T? It's just T. Let's just be glad it wasn't called like Farthead Studio or something like that. Breaking Wind. (laughs) Yeah, Studio. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you. T, we are now Square Egg Studio, officially. Let's get a sign. Let's get a sign. Let's get a sign. Patreon supporters help us keep the show going, as well as the other podcasts we help produce. You should listen to those podcasts. That's the Disappearance Podcast with John Herman and Deathcast with Kelsey Erickson. Also, you should really subscribe to our other show, These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order Podcast. In that show, we talk about episodes that you've seen a million times, like that time Van Buren shot a kid or when the murder (laughs) victim was a horse. (laughs) Then we talk about the real-life crimes, the stories we're based on. We've got some great guests, and these are their stories. And you don't have to be a Law & Order addict to love that show. So for as long as T wants to, we're going to be recording and broadcasting these podcasts from Square Square Egg Egg Studio. Studio. All right, should we roll the show? Yeah. Now, let's see if we have to change any names of buttons. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, a look at Gimlet Media's bold experiment in audio fiction, the A-list-packed podcast called Homecoming. We'll also dive in for some recent news around the Adnan Syed case and a legal crisis averted for the serial team. Joining me right now is the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and tops on the list of Canada's most hated podcasters, Kevin oh, come Flynn. come on. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. <laughs> also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, certified cat lady, and snow day Martha Stewart, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. I'm not really Martha today. I'm like the croc pot queen, but uh, I'll take it. (laughs) That counts. That's like Midwestern Martha, right? Yeah, exactly. And finally, it's our favorite super talented noir novelist, the always thoughtful, sometimes cynical, and obscure sports aficionado, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Buenos dias. (laughs) Well, we all have a big snow day today, so we're actually recording this podcast during the day, which is a good time. But one of the things I've been worrying about, Toby- it's not, because usually we're drinking heavily (laughs) while we are recording. I think you still are, aren't you? It's it's a diet coke. It's not the same. It's not not the same. That doesn't count. Oh, my goodness. Although Captain Morgan is calling, saying, I'd love to jump in there. (laughs) Uh, So, Toby, one of the things I was wondering is if you had time on this wonderful snow day to take a look 
at some of the items that our listeners purchased in the run-up to the Christmas and Hanukkah holiday. I did. Are there any that stuck out to you that you would like to uh, share with us? Well, there was a ton. <laughs> there certainly were. It took a long time to go through. So, yeah, I can I can run through a few. All right, go for it. Should I start now? Go ahead and start. Is this like the first time you've done this? It's, it's the first time almost of 2017. <laughs> uh, all right, so this is one that that I didn't get for some reason, which is a Sasquatch spotted black microfiber tie. Wait, spotted as in I saw Sasquatch or spotted as in he left tracks all over my tie? I think is actually that the Sasquatch himself spotted a black microfiber tie. Ah, huh. Ah. But it's unclear. It's just, it's just words, Kevin. Um, <laughs> Can't wait to go to the formal event where you have that as your necktie. Boone Pipes, Water Pipes, Bath Toy. For a baby. <laughs> huh. For your hookah loving baby. Is it like Zamfir's pan flute that you play in the tub? That wasn't what I had in mind. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> it's like a water bong. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> but you get to use the entire bathtub. Oh my God. As your water. Ooh. That's one dank baby. <laughs> yes. That's a challenge right there. Friday the 13th ice cube tray. <laughs> <laughs> So what that'd is be that? Nice, like a knife? That'd be nice in a rum and coke, I think. Ice cube shaped like uh, like Jason Voorhees hockey mask, maybe. Spike ball combo meal, as seen on Shark Tank TV. <laughs> Three ball set, drawstring bag, and rule book. Is it a game? Uh, it's a unclear. Food? It says it's a it's spike ball combo meal. Makes me think it's some kind of food. But apparently, when you get it in a drawstring bag, and you need a rule book for. Um, and it's inspired by Shark Tank. Oh, not well, Shark Tank. As League. seen on. Oh. I think on some, they, got, they got one of those guys to be an investor, I guess. Or not, uh, and just put it in the end. That, that mm-hmm. could be. You saw it. You saw it get shot down by Mark Cuban. Um, <laughs> let's see. Hunt, robust electronic rodent trap, clean and humane extermination of mice, rats, and squirrels. And the important thing to know is because apparently earlier editions of this did not work. This is, in all caps, the upgraded version. (laughs) You know, I could have used that. My husband got my oil changed this week, and apparently mice have been living in my car. Uh. Sometimes you hear about that on the old episodes of Car Talk, and they Mm -hmm. say you're going to have to like spray Lysol into your radiator vents to get rid of the dead mouse smell. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think, though, the early prototypes were like, that they need to advertise this is the updated version? (laughs) I, I... Rarely look at the prices of these things, but this one stuck out to me. Greenies Dental Treats. Regular, 5 by 36 ounces. How much do you think that would cost, Kevin? Oh, those are expensive. Are they these dog treats? Yeah, they're the Greenies. Greenies Dental Treats. Oh, that's like 120 bucks. It's 150 100, bucks. Really? Wow. For dog dental wow. treats. Yeah, those are expensive. Wow. They better last a long time. Those aren't the off-label, shitty dog dental treats that we buy. Those are the real deal. Sounds like a good Christmas for everybody. A good Christmas for everybody. And if you got Amazon gift cards for Christmas, we are going to ask you when you do your shopping to go to our website, crimewriterson.com, use our Amazon link to buy your stuff with those Amazon gift cards. It won't cost you any extra, but you will be supporting the podcast when you do. And maybe Toby will read your item on the podcast. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. If you're very, very lucky. And if you're buying something weird. (laughs) It doesn't hurt. One schedule update. This is part of our weird holiday slash vacation month. So 
We are going to be once again off next week and then coming back the following week. That episode will drop on the 14th of January. And we already know what we're going to be talking about. So you might want to bone up. We're going to be talking about Scientology and the Aftermath. That is the show on the A&E Network with Leah Remedy. Kevin is very scared. <laughs> but we are going to be talking about it. And Toby, I understand you won't be with us in two weeks. Uh, I'm going to be in Costa Rica. Nice. Mm. Well, Toby, we will miss you, but it's going to be a fun show. I'm hoping that Kevin isn't too freaked out to talk about Scientology this time. But we'll do our best to keep him safe. It's going to be a good time. I um, think I've been through the gauntlet. I think I can handle the Scientologist now. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. You have been through the gauntlet. We got quite a bit of feedback, in fact, about your epic rant two weeks ago about the season two of Someone Knows Something. Uh You you might remember some of the highlights of what you said. You know, when I said that his writing is literary, those things like belong in a book because they cannot be said aloud. That is not the way people speak, and that's his voice. There really is for a book, and it's not for radio slash audio it's slash not for podcast. You. It's not for anybody. People don't. No, no. People don't speak like that. Every time you, he introduces us to somebody, it sounds like this. Toby Ball walks into the room. He has salt and pepper hair, mostly salt. He looks like someone who was rejected from his junior high basketball team Aww. and is still holding a grudge. Aww. It's always that kind of shit, right, Toby? Am I, am, did I just put? <laughs> isn't it that? Well, you're no, saying that no, Toby no, no, no. is so didn't. mean. <laughs> it, 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 it's, Toby, it, it's, were you it's rejected? Like that. No, I, I, I was just using Toby as an example, obviously. <laughs> I, but I'm it's always teasing. something like that. It's a about how there was the thing about how the dog was like looked like he was trying to touch something with his tongue. It borders on self parody. We got a lot of feedback about that. We got mm-hmm. a lot of tweets. We got a lot of email. We got a couple of voice memos. But some of the email was particularly notable, and not all of it was horrible. No, I'm going to say that the internet agrees with me. I, I think I got way more. Uh, mm. People saying that they agreed with my take on SKS than did not. Maybe on the whole of the internet, but not in our email box. And I'm just going to play you a montage of some samples of some of the email that we got so that you can see what we're talking about. I like your podcast most of the time. This week's episode on Someone Knows Something infuriated me. Everything Kevin bitches about is what makes it great. It isn't too long. It isn't too purple. It takes talent to draw these pictures with words. I appreciate the range of opinions you all give and your honesty, but have to admit that last week's show left a bad taste in my mouth. I thought Kevin crossed the line regarding someone knows something. Go ahead and say it's not one of the top podcasts you recommend and why. But to strongly discourage listeners, lots, right, from actually listening to it is, well, uncool, unkevin, even. Don't be a one-man wrecking ball for other people's projects and reputations. You can give your thumbs down without being so contemptuous. What a bummer of a time this week's episode was. Have no idea why Kevin felt the need to trash someone knows something so but I cringed listening to it. Also, why does Kevin think there should be only one way to narrate a podcast? He came across so snotty. No one knows anything? Despite hearing you guys say that multiple times I'll let it slide but I just can't bite my tongue any longer. The first season, like the second is beautifully written and made me so completely nostalgic. It's stylistically Canadian through and through. Things are slower back home. Stories are winding and poetic. It's not about the fucking destination, but the journey. I get it. You don't understand Canada. But next time Kevin try not to confirm your ignorance and stupidity publicly. 
Wow. I can't believe you got so many astrophysicists to uh, read, the, <laughs> no, read the emails. No. Well, those were emails, and to be clear, those were just excerpts of some of the emails we received, and you responded to all of I those resp- people. I wrote to everybody who wrote to me. And they, you responded very graciously, and you ended up getting into a lot of really nice conversations uh, yeah, with a lot of the people. There were some very nice people that kind of, I don't want to say, they walked it back. They did walk it back after hearing from They were from nice. Me yeah, they were great. Yeah, yeah. But um, you're okay, right? Yeah, I'm okay. And I'll just say, <laughs> my opinion hasn't changed. <laughs> All right. I, well, look, if you're out there, the segment was, should you listen or not? And I I came down on the not. All <laughs> really? Right? Really. Look, <laughs> if the four of us say that we love every podcast, there's no value in saying and asking whether or not people should listen to the podcasts. If I say from now on, I think that you should listen to the podcast, you know that I mean it. So you think people will take you more seriously now that you've well, been kind of Well, I mean, that wasn't my goal. <laughs> the goal was, I think that season two is just as flawed as season one. You know, some people were offended on behalf of David. And, you know, I th- think we both said that we were trying to be gracious to the artist, but we don't have to like the art. Right. Now, just to be fair... You know, you once had a someone write a review of your book that you didn't like, and you didn't, you didn't feel good, right? Right. So I think that our listeners maybe were imagining how it would feel to hear that if they were in his shoes, perhaps. Okay. Could that be true? I don't know if that's what they feel. <laughs> All right. We also. But look, some- if you're listening to someone know something and you like it, then that's fine. I never said you shouldn't like it. You didn't like it. That I didn't like it, and these are the reasons why. And I think it's deeply flawed. And while the three of you guys are going to stand there and say that you would agree with it, I think there are parts of my rant that you do agree with. There are many parts of your rant I agree with. Well, I mean, I said it wasn't the speed for me. It was too slow for me. And it was just, and I think so similar to so many other cases that we've listened to. So I didn't love it either. I just... uh it wasn't one of my big F-bomb days. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, as I told you later, Kevin, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I had just talked to David, and I was definitely colored by that in terms of what I was willing to say you know, in the podcast about it, but you didn't have that experience of having talked to him. No, look, this is the thing that nonfiction writers know, or at least they should know and understand. When you do an interview with somebody like anybody else, you you know, you interview a family member, a cop, whatever, when you're writing that, you're either betraying the person that you spoke to or you're betraying the audience. Right. Right? You're either, you know, covering and polishing up the rough ends of the subject of your interview to the detriment of your audience, or you're speaking the truth to the audience, which hurts the subject or puts them in a bad light. Right. Well, I wrote to David after we taped that show. Right. He knew that that was coming. And I gave him a heads up because I didn't know you felt that way when I talked to him. Honestly, I didn't. I knew that you weren't loving it. But I didn't know you had such strong feelings. And honestly, I would have talked to him differently had I heard what I heard you say before I talked to him. I would have either been a little straighter with some of the I would have said, you know, responding to one person on our panel who says X, you know, I I would have given an opportunity to talk a little bit more about some of those issues that you brought. But since March, we have heard time and time again how people really did not like this podcast. I agree. And I think we said, look, that we like David and that we were really hoping that season two was going to be better because season one was just a bad story to dig into. So can we just wrap up the negativity for a sec? Because it wasn't all negative. I also have some audio robotic samples of some of the emails we received that were positive. Oh, okay. I hear a couple of those? Yeah, sure. All right, hold on. As a fellow cynic, 
I often identify with Toby's point of view, but this past episode I was literally cheering out loud as Kevin finally took a stand against yet another whatever podcast. I'm sending Kevin a huge high five. I just wanted to say that I loved Kevin's rant about nobody knows anything and I think he was absolutely right. Life is too short, and with the sudden flood of these types of shows out there, we are bound to have to sit through some crap along the way. (laughs) Hi Rebecca. I've had pangs of anxiety listening to crime writers on recently, thinking that if you and Kevin ever split up, I would lose my weekly source of joy forever. So, as selfish as this might sound, you two are not allowed to ever fall out, divorce or die. Seriously. Thanks. <laughs> How was that good about me? Well, I, I think what she was expressing was that, you know, when there was conflict in our podcast, she worries about whether or not there could oh, someday be yeah, conflict in our real that. life. No, don't worry about that. We're all good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, if you don't like my opinion, I'm fine. I'm cool with it. You're fine. So, Toby, I have a question for you. How does it feel being the less negative Nancy right now? <laughs> I've done some soul searching in the past week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, you know, I, I, I did think about Kevin's strong reaction and then seeing some of the stuff on social media. You know, to a certain extent, I was wondering, you know, if this had come out like three months ago and was at the beginning of this like sort of rash of true crime podcasts that seemed to like they're one after another after another, whether the response would have been a little more positive. But, you know, I do see one of one of the, the people under hiding who just you just had one of the emails read from, they said something along the lines of just another one of these podcasts. And again, I you know, sometimes when I'm listening to like three or four at a time, you know, where I'm listening to episode two of this one and episode six of this one, and episode four of this one. There is a certain sameness to them. You know, again, I, I kind of like Somebody Knows Something season two. I think probably the most out of the four of us. Well, you're stupid. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's because I'm stupid. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> of course. So anyway, that that's just what I my thought about it. Now, I just want to make it clear to our listeners, I did not ask any of these people their permission to use excerpts of their email and obviously couldn't reach out to them to have them read them. Hence the artificial uh, robot voices <laughs> reading all the notes. But I just want to play one last teeny tiny clip. Um a tiny excerpt of one of my favorite emails about Kevin that we have ever received. Please let Kevin go. If I have to listen to Kevin try his absolute hardest to make the dumbest dad joke known to man, I might just jump off the closest bridge. (laughs) (laughs) That guy was great. We had a a very nice email exchange. He He was was wonderful. I think I actually made a new friend there. Yeah, he was actually really awesome, and he felt really bad. Well, yeah, and I... No, I don't want to put words in his He felt really bad. He felt bad for (laughs) for saying we should fire Kevin and that his dad jokes were stupid. Um, He likes the podcast. He's a nice guy and just... You rubbed him the wrong way. The ro- and that's fine. And, we, and we, I told everybody, if you like it, that's great. Someone said, well, no one's forcing you to listen to this podcast. I'm like, yes, there is. Rebecca is forcing me to listen to this podcast. To be clear, though, that's not what he didn't like. He didn't like your dad jokes. Yeah, my dad jokes. Well, that, <laughs> that, cut, that, cut, that cut close to the bone. It there. did. It hurt yeah. a little bit, didn't it? Yeah. But no, these are great people. And, and look, I will say, wrap this up by saying one thing in defense of someone knows something, which is, and, and you had one of the emailers said something which occurred to me, which she described it as being very Canadian. Yeah. And I think that may be something that is imperceptible to the rest of us who listen, that there may be a certain Canadian-ness 
to it, mm-hmm. the storytelling, this, the the pace, the tone that we just don't see as sort of parochial, right? And maybe we misinterpret. I don't know an awful lot about Japanese culture, but if I eat a bad maki roll, I know that that's a bad piece of food. Doesn't to mean you. to me. Doesn't mean I hate <laughs> Japan. Um, but I just think it was. It's just still nonetheless poorly done but i think the, the most response we got the negative stuff was from people from outside the united states it's different it was cultural people from finland and canada and and the uk but a lot of people agreed so all right well i think it's time to move on shall yeah let's we? move on let's uh move on to the part of the show where we talk about things that are going on around true crime and other podcasts what is that segment called True Crime Podcast Update. (laughs) Gets better every time. Gonna do it different each time. On Wednesday, the Circuit Court for Baltimore City denied Adnan Syed's request for bail now that his conviction has been vacated. Now, Laura, I sent you the link to the judge's order that Adnan's attorney, Justin Brown, put on his website, and I know that you read the order. Can you just give us a breakdown of the reasoning here behind denying Adnan Syed bail while he waits through this appeals process for a new trial? Yeah, I think, you know, really the main thing, I mean, there's a lot in there that's just like minutia and you're reading it and you're like, I don't even know what's going on here. The main issue is that when the judge vacated the conviction last summer, I think it was in June, and ordered a new trial, the prosecution uh, filed an appeal challenging that new trial. And because that appeal is still pending, the judge said this wasn't basically the time to grant bail in this case, but he left the door open. So it sounds like if that appeal is tossed of the order for the new trial, there is a possibility that there could be bail granted. Um, He also cited the seriousness of the charges in the case. So, I mean, that's really, if you're boiling down what it is, it's really the fact that the other appeal is still pending. Right. So the door's still open. They can refile their uh, request for bail if the state's appeal about the overturned conviction is is not granted. Yes. Okay. That makes sense to me. Um, Now, there was other news around Serial this week. This was a story that I saw in a few places. I saw a lot of different opinions about it, and it sparked some interesting conversation. It was revealed last week that the Maryland court nearly sanctioned the producers of Serial for using courtroom audio that was legally prohibited from being used. Now, Kevin, how did this even happen? Well, it was during, right after the PCR hearing, Sarah Koenig wanted to get audio from the courtroom from the appeals hearing. And when she did so, the court said, no, you can't have that. She thought that was a new rule. And everybody realized later that the audio that they had used in serial, that that is prohibited under Maryland law from being broadcast. Hmm. So they never should have had it as part of the podcast itself. Now, it's hard to tell exactly, you know, how close they came to filing a contempt of court order against Serial. Essentially, Sarah Koenig said, we got bad legal advice and the court agreed that so long as they don't do it again, all's well that ends well. Hmm. And it really wasn't, I mean, with the exception of episode 11, I can't remember, you know, how significant the courtroom audio was throughout the rest of the the series, there was a lot of interview, police interview audio. Right. And Sarah even said, you know, she's kind of glad that she was naive about that because part of the impact would have been different for Serial, but she would not have changed anything. I'm sure that's a, one of the reasons why they wanted to do the story, though, was because they had this courtroom audio. You know, when you're a radio producer looking for a story mm-hmm. to do, having the audio 
is an important component of choosing that story. Yeah, probably. Well, you know, certainly it was a resource, and they felt like they were cleared to get it. Maryland has one of the strictest no cameras in the courtroom, no audio from the courtroom policies of of, of the fifty states. You know, they even did a study. Uh, you know, a, a judicial commission on trying to determine whether or not they should reverse that or, or, or consider opening up cameras in the courtroom in certain situations. Apparently, you know, the people who were on that commission found absolutely no educational value. I think that was the term. Educational value. Ed- educational value in opening the courtroom huh. to public scrutiny. So anyway, people were wondering, does this mean they have to recut cereal and take no. all this stuff out? No, yeah. they don't have to do that. It's sort of all's well that ends well. The interesting thing to me is that Sarah was looking for audio from the PCR. Right. So it makes me wonder, what are they thinking in that newsroom about Adnan's case? Maybe they aren't done with it. Maybe they're not. The other interesting thing to me, and something that, frankly, I don't know the answer to, is whether or not how Undisclosed is affected by this. Because they also used considerable amounts of audio from the trial that wasn't heard in serial. You know, I cut some of that tape myself and put it in their episodes myself. So I know it's in there, and I, I don't know if they've heard anything about it, too, but that'll be interesting to hear about. The case they're working on right now in season two, they're having a similar issue with Georgia. The court in that, in the Joey Watkins case, will not allow any of the trial tapes to be used. They won't release them. They won't use them. They could go and listen to them, but they're not allowed Mm -hmm. to copy them. Mm -hmm. They have filed a motion around that, and that's, you know, that process is ongoing. But I think about what we're allowed to do here in New Hampshire. We're allowed to go to a courtroom and make copies of paper. And, yeah, everywhere and you use can that get material. transcript, yeah. Right. So I'm curious what you think, Laura, about this idea that, like, in a public forum that is taped, assuming for some reason that there is audio or video that exists, that you wouldn't be allowed as a journalist to ever broadcast it. How does that strike you? I think it's bullshit. It makes me so mad. Like, are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? It's a public proceeding. I I just, I guess I don't understand the rationale when you have a public proceeding. I, I understand, you know, here in New Hampshire, when you've got a really big case, they'll do a pool photographer or a videographer if it's, you know, heavily covered so as not to distract from the proceedings. But it seems like if the court is making an audio, that would be an authentic representation of what happened in that courtroom. And I just, I don't understand why what happened in the, a public courtroom would not be public. Yeah, no, I actually completely agree with you on that. It makes me think of that newscast that we saw, I think it was in Ohio, where they were doing that trial, and they wouldn't allow them to use any of the video from the trial, even though there was video, so they used puppets to recreate what happened in the courtroom <laughs> on the on the news channel. We, we, should try, we, should, we should try to find that video and put it on our website. That's great. Look, I, oh, I went funny. to a gathering of the Radio Television News Directors Association in Washington, D.C., maybe more 10 years ago, and they had a panel on this. And one of the panelists was a judge, and I can't remember if he was from Virginia or Maryland or Washington, D.C., and I think he had been a former journalist. But he came and he spoke about why he was representing why he didn't feel like there should be cameras in the courtroom. And he said that he could see like people walk into the courtroom, like gang members, right, and intimidate just their mere presence in the courtroom would intimidate a witness on the stand and he could see them changing their testimony and that's why he felt that they shouldn't be in the courtroom. Now, I'm thinking that that's completely different. You're talking about maybe closing the courtroom if you don't. Right. Those, you, you know, you it's not a two-way mirror when you're on television. But also I felt like 
that's not a reasoned legal argument. That's right. your gut. Right. And why are you ruling on your gut versus the letter of the law? Right. But that's just how some judges are. One of the things that's come up that's really interesting, again, on the undisclosed second season case, is that they are discovering discrepancies in the memories of jury members and witnesses about what happened in the courtroom versus what's in the transcript. And there's some question as to whether or not the audio would have a different representation of what happened in the courtroom versus what was or wasn't on the transcript. Toby, what are your thoughts about this as a, as a four-time juror in, in many trials? Yeah. I mean, there there are timber gangs in New Hampshire who are definitely intimidating. <laughs> you know, the only, the only thing that makes sense to me as a reason to do it is if you are trying to protect, you know, people who are giving testimony. And it seems like there's, there should be a way around that. It's uh, when they be, put the masks on people. You guys have yeah, been in a just, trial when they make them wear the mask when they're testifying? I, I have no. not. No. <laughs> yeah. It sounds it's awesome, when ha- though. When they have somebody that's like a confidential informant or somebody that, you know, would be threatened, and uh, there's you know, they have them wear like the mask, or sometimes like the police officer that's been undercover will wear the mask, and that gets challenged. What kind of mask? Looks like a like bank robber Fred mask. Flintstone I think. Or like something? Friday the 13th. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you can't face your accuser if they're wearing a mask, right? Well, no, you can face them. You just can't see him. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think that's the only, I mean, if you if you can, like, redact certain identifying things. But, you know, if you're going to have a transcript out there, this whole thing about there's no educational, I mean, that doesn't, it seems to me it's more of a informed public, you know, transparency thing rather than an educational thing. I I agree. I mean, it, it seems it seems like kind of bullshit. I wonder what the line is. I wonder if in Maryland, if you took the transcript from the Anand Syed court case and had actors, that would be fine. That would actually be That'd fine. That'd be fine. But there's no there's no judge's discretion. Yeah. It's it's a uh, you know sort of a statewide rule in New Hampshire. It's it is to the judge's discretion. But Whether the, or not there are but, cameras yes, recording. But there are also several. Th- things that that must be you know sort of checked off on the list. Uh, the presumption is that the court is open, mm-hmm. and there would have to be more than just a gut feeling that it should be closed to cameras. Right. But you know, but Toby's right. I mean, you can set rules down like you can't take photographs of the jury. That was like an O.J. Simpson thing. And if you have a minor, you know, you can't videotape them, or a you know victim of a sexual assault. I mean, th- the judge can put you know certain restrictions in place right. to you know to protect the proceeding right but you've got to have a legitimate reason for closing the courtroom you know there are some states that lead the way in this florida has you know the the sunshine laws are based on the sunshine state and you know they have the most liberal sunshine rules in the country and there are other states that there's just no discretion in in, in maryland right. but in the end also well it ends well it just feels like the default ought to be transparency and that if it's not going to be transparent, that that's got to be the the exception. No, I agree. And I, I actually I, I understand why jurors maybe wouldn't want them on camera or, you know, and I understand why, for instance, in the St. Paul's rape trial, we got the, you know, the order in our newsroom from the judge to disguise the uh, victim's voice. Of course, now she's come out publicly, so that's no longer necessary without we were ever to use that tape again. And then on TV, they sort of like bank seed her voice a little bit with those electronic effects. But um, I do think discretion is important, but I do think that the default should be transparent. Transparency too. And I agree with Laura that if the tapes exist, if it was taped, if it was taped or videoed, and if you are allowed to go to the courtroom to look at it, which you are, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, right? You're allowed to go examine those tapes. Actually, trans- yeah, you can like go and, and play inspect it. it. Yeah. The fact that you then can't broadcast it is fucking bullshit. When I was doing defense work, I would often go get 
a copy of the audio from the court and drive it to the transcriptionist so that we could get transcripts of a case. Transcripts that were more accurate than what the court transcriptionist may have done? Well, sometimes. uh, And sometimes there were cases that they, they didn't do a transcript because it was some little case or something and they didn't do a transcript. And so, you know, you would go have that done. The one sort of scenario that comes to my mind is, you know, when you're in D.C., everybody's on juries. So a buddy of mine was on a, I think it was a weapons thing. And one of the women who was on the jury was like, that dude's in my neighborhood. I don't know if he's guilty, but I want him put away. And in those situations, I think like having things be public would probably dissuade jurors and witnesses who would fear reprisals. You know, again, I, I think there's there's technical ways you can do it. I mean, you can mask the voice so that it's it's not recognizable or whatever. But I, I think those are the kind of things you need to keep in mind. But again, it's just, it, it seems kind of crazy. It does. No, I agree. I think we're all in agreement. And I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about Sarah sort of saying she wishes she hadn't done it now. You know what I mean? I think it's good to expose this issue. I think one thing's for certain. I think our impression of Christina Gutierrez would be much different <laughs> if we didn't hear her saying, what? <laughs> No, I was was definitely thinking about that. It doesn't translate the same on a transcript. It really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. All right. Well, let's move on to the part of the podcast in which we talk about another podcast, shall we? This week, we're taking on another groundbreaking show by Gimlet Media. That's the network that's trying to be like the HBO of podcast makers. They already have a slate of really popular shows like Startup and Reply All. And now they have a bunch of new shows, including Crime Town and this new podcast, which I'd venture to say means they are making good on that ambition. Homecoming, that is the podcast we're talking about. The first season of Homecoming is complete at just six short episodes. So if you want to listen to Homecoming before hear us talk about it, you're welcome to do so. Or you can take this lesson as, should you listen to Homecoming, listen to us talk about it, and then decide. But spoiler alert, I think you should probably listen to it. I think that we all agree it's pretty good. And it only takes like 90 minutes. Yeah, I did it all yesterday, honestly, and it was really compelling and great. So... First off, a quick primer. Homecoming is a fictionalized drama. The main character is Heidi. She's played by Katherine Keener, who used to work in a mysterious program to help veterans returning from conflict zones reassimilate. The cast of the podcast also includes David Schwimmer as Colin, that's Heidi's boss, and Oscar Isaac as Walter, one of the soldiers in the Homecoming program. There are also some other well-known actors in the podcast, including David Cross and Amy Sedaris. But first, what I want to talk about with you guys is the production value of the show, including the acting, the use of sound, uh, the technical aspects of the show, because it is very, very different from anything we've talked about before. Laura, I would love your first impressions of just how they put the show together, the people in it, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, when I'm listening to it, I'm thinking this is like a podcast, audiobook, theater show all smashed into one. And I liked it. And it was, you know, as I'm listening to it, I'm like hearing Katherine Keener's voice. I'm like, why do I know this voice? Because, you know, you recognize some of these voices, but you're not expecting to hear them on a podcast. So I was kind of surprised that they had drawn in some of these bigger names, but I did a little research on Gimlet and I see they are funded by venture capital. So, you know, they do have some financing behind them to pay these people, which is nice. And, and it sounds like they recorded this all in a very short period of time. So the actors and actresses didn't have to commit to a huge time to do the show. They said uh, Catherine Keener was there for a week and uh, Ross from Friends, that's he will always be Ross from Friends. <laughs> yes, he will. He won't be Robert Kardashian, too? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm so disturbed by 
that one. Um, he was only there, there for a day. So it was it was really interesting. What do you think about the technical quality of the show, Toby? Yeah, it's obviously a lot better than anything else that we've heard. I actually find that a little concerning, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I I think one of the nice things about at least the era that we're in in podcasts is that there is a certain DIY ethic, and I think there's also the the expectation for how slick things are is not necessarily that high, and it allows things like Tannis, for instance, to be clever but not have to spend a mint on getting a big-name actor or, you know, what clearly, I, I don't know a thing about production, but my guess is some money and time went into that production. That being said, that's my sort of reservation about it, but it sounds, you know, it sounds awesome. I actually 100% agree with your reservation. I have a just a business concern about what's happening with the podcasting industry when you have leaders like Gimlet out there. You know, right now we are indies, we're able to, you know, get advertisers. We're able to make a show that sounds pretty good compared to other panel shows. What happens when Gimlet gets into panel shows? You know, it's concerning. It does make you wonder whether or not someday iTunes will only accept podcasts from big networks or will they continue to put indie podcasts in their feed? It's an interesting question that we've seen other media go there. But the thing with podcasting that is different is that you really, unlike making a TV show, you don't have to broadcast it. You just publish it to the web. So it's a different kind of industry. Now, Kevin, I've got a specific question for you. Mm -hmm. In the past on this show, we talked about two notable fiction podcasts, one in which you hated the sound design. That was Limetown, Mm -hmm. where all the sound effects were, we all agreed, I think, kind of overdone and very deliberate. And one in which you loved the sound design. That was the message, that Panoply podcast, which I thought was really, really well done. You are an old time radio and you are a radio theater guy. What do you think of the production quality and sound design in Homecoming? I really like it, and it is slightly understated, but I think it works. I like the different aspects of the way they recorded it. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm not certain, but I think there are different scenes where they may be working off of a handheld recorder to get you know a certain feel and tone of a room that they're in. You mean like in her office? Like in her office? office, but also going to visit her mother. There are like, I think, maybe one or two sound effects that I thought, they weren't bad. I think they were necessary for the narrative. But I thought to myself, having done this, those were taken off of a a CD and Mm -hmm. added. Right. Uh, We hear somebody running and we hear a screech of of a car at one point. And I'm like, that was the only time that I ever thought like that was stuff that was artificially added. And that's fine. You know, I think it's done really well. The concept, I guess, is of found audio, found tape. And so it doesn't sound like a bunch of people sitting around in a studio reading lines like you would if you were voicing a cartoon. It sounds like they're recording on location, which I know that they were. I actually read a a story that showed me that they were, but they were. They went all over the place. And I was was really surprised, Laura, that a lot of them were not in the same room interacting. You know, it sounds like someone was doing their lines and someone else might have been doing their lines because it, it all feels so real right. all the conversations these are all two ways i don't think it was any more than you know like two person conversations right um, they all feel very intimate and They're overheard and overheard it's interesting good. what you said really about, the, about the technology and the recording when you say handheld you're talking about the difference between like a boom mic setup being in studio c square egg studio yes yes 
or being right, holding a, a handheld microphone or another like recording. Like these are digital recording devices that are about the size of a a Walkman that you know record digital stereo yeah, audio. Like They're very high quality like a stuff. Zoom mic, yeah, and and it just gets you out and and makes it. It's more like a movie. You can shoot a movie on the studio set. Or you can go into downtown New York or a cornfield in the Midwest and shoot there. Two scenes in particular really stick out. One is when she's working in the restaurant. We hear Heidi working in the restaurant. We hear her walking from the dining room to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And you hear the sort of transitional sounds. And almost in all those conversations, they're, they're a little bit off mic, so it sounds like you're overhearing them. The other one was when she walked into her mother's room in the nursing home and her mom is watching a Today Show. And you hear Matt Lauer <laughs> doing an interview in the background. Yeah. It feels very much like it would sound if someone was just holding a handheld recorder and just doing observational recording, following somebody around. And that is risky because it doesn't always sound good, but they've made it sound right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really impressive. I just want to mention one other technical thing, which you talked about them being in different places at different times. Do you think that's what the fish tank was for, was to help cover, to, no. to have like a nice ambient track no, 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 in the no, back no, no, of no, the no. office? No, they mixed everything perfectly. They don't. I know, they, I know. The aquarium is both symbolic, and I'm sure it's also going to be a trigger going forward oh, okay. for certain things. Without No spoilers here, but I think that that's going to come back. Now, I want to talk about the story structure of Homecoming. It's told in parallel timelines. There's no narration. Toby, what do you think of this kind of structure for a story like this? Uh, it's hard. That to me was the best part of the podcast is that they've got multiple timelines. So you've got that going and then you're trying to release information in ways that make sense and in both current time and past time to build one coherent story. There's a certain amount of information that the listener has that Heidi doesn't have, which heightens the suspense. It's it's a juggling act, and I think they pull it off really well. And I think you have the additional, you know, hurdle to overcome, which is usually when you have these kinds of things, all the time when you have these kinds of things, basically, it's either in a book or in a, a movie or TV show. And there are cues in both those to let you know that you're switching in time. And they managed to do, I mean, there, there are some audio cues, like the way the, the audio sounds. but The whoop sound that they do in between the scenes? Well, you know it's switching, but you don't always know right away, like when something starts happening, is this the present? Is this the past? You know, is this a tape of something that she's playing to Ross in the past? <laughs> Colin. You know, so I think they're good about... Because there's never any voiceover. So you have to figure that out in the first episode. It's like, okay, these are the different times that we're talking about. And then so each time they do that little transitional thing, the first thing is, oh, okay, when is this? I think it's a complicated thing that they pulled off. And I think they, they pulled that part of it off really well. They also use, and without giving too much away about the plot, they use the device of lost memory or potential lost memory as a storytelling device. Laura, what do you think of the way that they've structured this story? Is it suspenseful for you? I think it's difficult to make an audio story truly suspenseful and truly have conflict. Is it working for you? I didn't find it necessarily suspenseful until we got a little bit closer to the end and then it wasn't quite what I thought was going to happen. So it died out a little for me. But it took me a little bit. There was a couple times where, you know, obviously I can tell Catherine Keener's voice, but there's a couple times I'm like, 
wait, which guy is this? Because they started to sound a little bit similar to me a couple times. So when they would then flip back and forth, you would hear a more distinctive, you know, rendition of somebody's voice when they flipped between timelines a couple times. And I was like, oh, okay, I know who that is. But it definitely, once, without giving spoilers, once we got to the point where we realized that there was something that had happened to Katherine Keener's character that had, to Heidi, that had affected her permanently, that's, for me, when things started to pick up a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we come out of the gate knowing here's a, a, a woman who's a waitress, and then we hear that she had been working in you know some sort of test facility working with soldiers and immediately we have to wonder okay why is she now a waitress once you figure out the timeline and why is there somebody from the department of defense asking her about this time and she's not responding and is she hiding something and so immediately we sort of get caught in that kind of thing now what do you think about the fact that Ross, David Schwimmer's character, Colin, and you're now just all calling Ross, most of his character appears in the form of... Well, I'm going to stop you right there. Yes. Heidi. You know, the, <laughs> that whole thing. What, what was great about, about that? I actually really well, liked just, the it, phone let's calls. Let's just explain what it is to our audience. All of the phone calls between Colin, the boss, and All the Heidi, dialogue between the, them takes place during phone calls. He's always in a phone call, and he's always doing something that's Else. a distraction. Right. He can't find, you know, the gate he's at, or he doesn't know how to work his phone, and he's in a taxi cab, and he's, he's always- at a wedding at one point? He's always at a wedding, and there's always a problem that- he has with the work that she's doing. And instead, it, it adds so much disorienting conflict with those two characters and the things that they're trying to do. I think it works fantastic. It just builds the tension and it makes you wonder more about what's going on. And Colin is not milk toasty, And I just think that that's a great way of making us as listeners know that this is a hard guy to please and that, you know, there is definitely something that she needs to be doing and she needs to do it a certain way. She can't be Catherine Keener compassionate. She has to be doing whatever it is that he wants her to do. I think this is where the podcast really benefits from having A-list actors with recognizable voices because we don't have to remember a great example is Tannis. There's a ton of characters in Tannis. And I know that sometimes we're supposed to hear a voice and know who it is, but I don't know who it is. It takes me a minute till I say their name for me to reorient it. But like, we know this guy's played by David Schwimmer. So we hear David Schwimmer's voice and then we get that cue like, this is what's going on. You get you pick right up where you left off very much like in without, a movie. Without going into that's David Schwimmer. Exactly. It just is enough of, a, enough of a an cue. audio cue so that you know which character you're listening and to. And I think. And I would love to get your guys' thoughts on this. I think the dialogue in this podcast is superiorly crafted. I don't Mm -hmm. know if part of it's improvised. It sounds to me like they told them what's supposed to happen in the scene and there was some improvisation because the affects of the people, like Catherine Keener has a specific affect that they're allowing her to use in the podcast. She's probably the most wonderfully warm actress that's working in Hollywood. Like you just love her no matter what she does. And that's really helps this character be somebody you can empathize with because you know she was involved in something that was probably shady. You don't really know exactly what, but I think that really helps. But I I think the dialogue is just really, really well crafted. The dialogue between she and her boss, there was that one time where he sort of capitulated to her, but their negotiations feel so real. It feels exactly like how it feels when your boss is telling you to do something and you don't agree. 
and you then you have to maintain that decorum so that you don't get fired, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also stand up for yourself. It just felt really, really real and good to me, you know, as did all the other dialogue in the show. Laura, do you think the dialogue in the show is as good as I think it is? Oh, yeah. I thought it was great. And I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you guys listened to one of the after shows where they had on the guy from the show that worked on the dialogue who talked about why he was so good at dialogue um, because his job had been to like listen to hours and hours of tape for the job. I can't remember what the job was, but so he had listened to so much dialogue that it was something that he was able to pull off because it was something that he had just studied quite a bit. Um, So that I thought that was interesting with the after shows, you know, that again reminded me of HBO when they always have that little after show explanation at the end of of a big series. I just want to say, and I don't know who else on the panel did this, but I purposely did not listen to the after shows. Me neither. Because I wanted to be able to yeah, come to the discussion sort of free and clear of that. I thought it was odd. I, don't, I guess uh, it seemed odd to me that they would wrap up this, you know, each episode with their own discussion about either how it was done or what worked. It kind of reminded me of a chef coming out, sitting at your table as soon as you did the meal and him explaining how much cilantro he used. You know what it reminded me of was my writing, having to write a three-page paper and having a page and a half. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's seriously, I mean, if, if it weren't for that stuff, these episodes would be like, you know, fifteen or eighteen minutes, but that's fine by me. It's quality. No, it's it, no, it's. I, I think it's fine. But it, to me, it just, that I listened to the first one, I guess, and then I was like, I if I keep listening, I'm either going to be reacting, I'm either going to be agreeing or disagreeing with what people say, and I'd rather just you know have my own thoughts. But I think they should pull them out. I think they should pull them out and make them supplemental, optional listening, sort of like the addendum to undisclosed. I I don't think that everybody. Obviously, it's sort of it's detrimental to us to listen to the after show because we might be mirroring some of the things that they say. And I also sort of feel like, hey, that's our job. We're supposed to be your after show. Damn it. (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to say. It goes to your earlier concern about what happens if Gimlet starts putting out panel shows like this because they're already sort of doing it with us. Yeah. Hey, Gimlet. (laughs) Knock it off. Hire us, man. We'll be your after show. We're really good at it. (laughs) One thing that I want to talk about we haven't yet touched on is the story on homecoming itself. You know, it's certainly timely and topical. It deals with politics, war profiteering, um, issues with veterans. Also, you know, some of our favorite topics, shady conspiracies and technology. Um, Toby, what do you think of the story itself that's being told in Homecoming and how how they arced it out in this podcast? And don't spoil it like you've spoiled 10 or 15 other things. Oh, don't lecture him. I'm trying to protect Toby from... The I onslaught. appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate it. So I it was interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine about this, and I I had two big concerns with this podcast. And one of them was, you know, what they call the reveal, which is what's the underlying, you know, thing. What's what what's what's the underlying conspiracy? And if we can go to spoiler alert mode for a second. So I was telling him that I thought it was disappointing when it happened. It was like I was like, oh, really? That's it. And he was saying that he thought it was it was kind of jarring and that it seemed, you know, realistic enough and also immoral enough. But you could also kind of believe that it could happen. And so I, you know, usually agree with his opinions on things. I think part of it is I wrote a partial manuscript that was similar to this. And so I did a combination of research and a lot of thinking and a lot of writing on a, on a pretty similar storyline. So I think that might have spoiled it for me. So maybe I'm not looking at that too clearly but I did it was the kind of thing where when the reveal came I was like hmm and and the second thing I thought is just as far as storytelling and stuff I thought that sort of the awkward romance between 
Oscar Isaac and Catherine Keener. To me, I thought I thought that really detracted. It took what was sort of a complicated moral situation and turned it into an emotional one in that rather than making a decision purely based on her feelings about what she was complicit in and what it was doing to these men, it then became more of a, you know, I'm attached to this particular person and I don't want to see him hurt. And so I, I can see why they did it, but to me, it detracted from sort of the larger moral issue that was out there. I didn't read that as romance at all. But isn't that the end? I thought they're, he's like constantly saying, you know, I could stick around, you know. Well, we don't know. Uh, we don't know. I read it as a therapist who feels that she has a legitimate therapy client relationship and she's being told that that's not what it's supposed to be but her inner moral compass as a therapist is to go by those oh, rules. I'm closer to Toby though I, I don't think it's appropriate yeah but I think that's part of her ultimate motivation hmm. I read it as being more about her than about them that's uh-huh. I guess I guess that's my my thinking I mean I think either way you put it it becomes more about her relationship with him than her, you know, reacting to something that she's complicit in. Well, Oscar Isaac, he's no slouch. He's great. <laughs> it's just the acting in this just really makes it. Yeah. It's a bunch of great things. The acting's yeah. so good. I mean, that, that's, the th- that's the thing. And I, while I was listening to it, and this is in no way a slam against some podcasts that I really, really like, but it's like if you're picking sides for a basketball team you got Michael Jordan out there yep you know you take them and your team is really good we, we talked about this too and you know I'm a big fan of other fiction podcasts like I love the black tapes and Tannis I have a lot of affection for those shows this one is superiorly acted and delivered and the dialogue is better and the situation in which the dialogue is delivered is natural and good it's not like and then we came to the studio and talked about X and then you hear them talking about X this is like it sounds like overheard intimate conversations that we're not supposed to be hearing and it's just so well done there's chemistry between the people Ross is even believable as not Ross here and there he wasn't very nice. Yeah, Laura, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the story, the characters, and the arc. What are you thinking? Well, I, you know, I, I definitely felt like this was an ambitious project because it's something totally new. It's something that hasn't been done before. But I do think having recognizable professional actors in this took this to a whole different level. And it was something that I, I definitely sat down and just listened to the whole thing because it was so captivating. Now, Kevin, here comes a media story we've heard before. Uh, the rights to Homecoming have been acquired for television oh. <laughs> uh, production. What do you think of this trend? We've heard this a couple of other times, that podcasts are becoming like books and that they are now the source material being developed for TV series. What do you think? Well, I think it says more about TV than it does about podcasting. This is obviously a superior product. And just because they acquire the rights, and I think we know this, that it doesn't mean that anything is going to get produced. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, I'm kind of surprised because we have about three hours worth of a story and you know, whether they want to take that concept and, and make a TV show out of it. I, I don't know if it it works very well as a production in the theater of the mind mm-hmm. of an old-time radio show. I don't know how this would look on the big screen. There's not, like, gunfights and there's not, you know, so... Well, there are the little screen, I in should the podcast, say. but there could be flashback scenes. There could be other ways to... Yeah, sort of, yeah. I, it, I, I don't know. I think it's just... Uh, did you enjoy Westworld? I did. That was we originally a two-hour movie, and you ended sure. up watching 12 and a half hours of TV that came out of a two-hour movie. So it has happened before. 
Whereas shorter production has turned into a fleshed out. Oh, yeah, sure. I just don't see this as like whiz bang, you know, CBS Thursday night after Hawaii Five O or whatever's on whatever's on Thursday nights. First season of Homecoming is over. Would you recommend that our listeners take a listen? My recommendation is yes, listen to Homecoming. And will you listen to season two yourself? Oh, absolutely. You liked it? Yeah, I may even listen to the after show. Who knows? <laughs> what about you, Toby? Final thoughts on season one of Homecoming. Do you recommend that our listeners take a listen if they haven't already? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And are you going to listen to season two? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, Laura? I'd love to hear your final thoughts and whether or not you think our listeners should also uh, listen to Homecoming. Yeah, I mean, I liked it a lot. I hope that season two comes out before they develop whatever they're going to develop for TV, because that would make me sad. Like, Kevin, I feel like this is best heard as an audio story. So take a listen. I actually recommend it very, very highly. I may be recommending it more highly than I've ever, ever recommended another podcast before, mostly because it is like listening to a movie which is something you can't do at work. You can't watch a movie at work, but you can listen to Homecoming at work. And I think that this is where the genre is going. They know there have been other great fiction podcasts out there. We actually uh, have one in our little network, The Disappearance Podcast, which I'd recommend our listeners listen to. This is an interesting place this genre is going, where you can have an experience through your earbuds while doing something else. And I think it's a real game changer. And also, it's just really good. I love Katherine Keener. I recommend it highly. All right, so now it's time to move on to my favorite part of the show, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. A federal investigation is underway into an alleged bootlegging operation on Capitol Hill that sold thousands of dollars worth of pirated copies of popular TV shows. (laughs) This is according to a report by NBC Washington last week. An excerpt of the case posted on Twitter said that the illegal DVD sets were imported into the U.S. from Hong Kong, and the suspect who was accused of selling them lives in the heart of our nation's democracy. (gasps) Shocked. I'm shocked. Shocked. Among the nearly 2,000 bootleg DVDs found in the man's home were box set copies of The Sopranos, The Twilight Zone, and The Big Bang Theory. But most notably, perhaps, were the $2,800 worth of illegal copies of The West Wing, (laughs) which, of course, features many Americans' all-time favorite We Wish He Was Real president, New Hampshire's very own Jeb Bartlett. So apparently the West Wing, a very hot commodity in D.C., which may or may not come as a surprise to you guys. So here is my question. Laura, I'm going to start with you. If you're going to be busted in a bootleg sting, what TV show or film would the feds find illegal copies of in your home? I hate to say it. There's nothing that I love that much that I would uh, have a bootleg copy of. I, I, I just... I can't think of anything. Wow, Laura. I know, I know. Or isn't there a show, though, that you love but just isn't available? Well, there. you know, I watch a lot of, like I said before, Magnum P.I., but that's on Netflix now. So, um, oh. yeah, I feel like all the shows that I wanted, I can now find on all of these different medias that we have. I, I mean, I think it is interesting that it's the West Wing. I think are people people so upset about the current state of our country that they need to go to a fictional presidency to make themselves feel better? <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't know if you watch The West Wing, but there did, is something yes. about it. It's the way that you believe the White House should be, whether yes. or not you agree with Jeb Bartlett's politics or not. Just the way that decisions are made, sort of the dignity of it. The walk and talk. The walk and talk. You know, yeah. it's just the way you think it should be. It's just wonderful, that show. And Kevin, by the way, didn't watch it when it was on TV. Oh, but now that I can get a bootleg copy from <laughs> 
Forget busting that corrupt congressman. I have to have the guy who made all these illegal copies of <laughs> Seven and uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Well, Toby, what about you? What would be the bootlegged media that the feds would find in your house in a sting? It's easy because I only have one bootlegged thing, and it's a VHS tape of the movie Race with the Devil starring Peter Fonda and Warren Oates. Wow. <laughs> wow. Don't turn him in. <laughs> I think the seven years uh, statute of limitations is passed. Yeah, I got it. It was actually a, uh, it was a wedding present. <laughs> so romantic. It's a bootleg. Yeah, it's, uh, you could probably watch it now somewhere. It's a movie I saw like five times when I was in high school. All right, Kevin Flynn, if you were to be busted in a bootleg sting, what TV show or film would the feds find illegal copies of in our home? You know, maybe it's the Carrie Fisher grief in me, but, you know, there's an original cut, the very first cut of Star Wars that's out there that, you know, before the ultimate film editor came on and made the cut, I think if I could find that, that'd be interesting Hmm. to watch. My second thing would be, and I know there's some of those things that are out there, but the entire series run I'd love to see is The Electric Company. The Electric Company. Yeah. I, you know, do, you do their theme song. They're gonna turn it on. <laughs> hey, you guys! I love the Electric Company. Fargo North Decoder. I gotta say, selfishly, mine is a little more vocational in nature. I gotta go with Law and Order UK because we really want to talk about it on our Law and Order podcast with some really cool British people. We want to book, and we just cannot find it or get it. It used to air here, and it, it no longer does. BBC America for like ten minutes, and, and then... it stars Jamie Bamber. Meow. <laughs> oh, he was wow. in uh, Battlestar Galactica, right? <laughs> yes, he was in Battlestar Galactica. He is my Apollo? favorite. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yep, and he was also in that British series Marcella. Or Marcella, oh, or however yeah. it's pronounced. Yeah. Oh, that's supposed to be good. Yeah, yeah, we watched the first episode of that. We liked it. We should get back in that. Anyway, this is all pretty tame. Bootlegging, no porn, no Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Laura was going to say, like, the Great American Bake Off or something. Um, <laughs> my second choice, of course, would be Fixer Upper from HGTV. Ooh, I, am totally, like- I am totally done with baking for a while after Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we should probably end it on that note. So, Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to, I don't know, telegraph you another cold remedy, it sounds like you need one, how can they find you? on Twitter at Laura Bricker. Laura, is there a cat of the week this week? Um, There is a cat of the week this week. It is Anakin, the possessed happy Hanukkah cat (laughs) who looks like something out of a Stephen King movie. I don't know the person, the owner's real name, Drama the Cat, but Anakin, the possessed Hanukkah cat is really scary. And that is our cat (laughs) of the week. Toby Ball, if our listeners want to tweet with you, find you online, I don't know, ask you about that obscure movie that you have a bootleg copy of, how can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin, if our listeners want to tweet with you, how can they do it? I am still at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to send me a tweet or follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Find the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. Sign up for our newsletter and buy stuff using our Amazon link with your Christmas Amazon gift cards at our website, CrimeWritersOn.com. Bookmark that link. Make it a shortcut on your smartphone. It really helps us out. Email us questions and voice memos at CrimeWritersOn at Gmail. Review the show on iTunes. It keeps us on the chart. Tell your friends about the podcast if you love it. And before you close your podcast app, check out our sister show. These are their stories, the Law & Order podcast. Our very handsome and smart line producer is Henry Lavoie. 
Our theme music was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in the newly renamed Square, Square Egg, Egg Studio, Studio at Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. The Closet in Our Basement, formerly known as Studio C. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. You were going to say something that I hated fully. You think that I don't like sound effects. When they're so fake, you don't like the fake ones. You seem to comment about them a lot. Did you know that, like, in the 1950s, when they first started doing television news, they added sound effects? Yeah, yeah. Back in those days, you know, the newscast was like 15 minutes long. All, all of the visuals all film. And so it didn't always have audio to it. And because, you know, like CBS and NBC, like they had people who were doing the sound effects for the live radio broadcasts earlier in the evening, they started having them do sound effects for the news, whether it's music or, you know, they'd have like, you know, the guys marching and, you know, machine gun fire, whatever. And they would queue it up and they would just do it like they normally do it for the radio stuff. And then one night, they ended the newscast, they had this film of a guy who either jumped or fell off of a bridge, and I want to say it was like the Golden Gate Bridge, but it was like they just captured like this long shot of the guy falling. And so the sound effects guy had queued up the splash on a record, Oh my God. and what he didn't know is he had the volume like all the way up, <laughs> so w- when the guy oh, felt, when he hit the water, it was like, splash! <laughs> And the the president of the news division called up and he said, Jesus Christ, why didn't you just have a fucking slide whistle, have him follow him the whole way down? And that was the yeah. end of Foley effects in newscasts. And that's where your hate comes from. No, but I just love that story. <laughs> <laughs> Partners in Crime Media.